Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Last night was opening night. You may have seen that. Rams DB. Nikhil Roby Coleman has been having himself a postseason now. I mean, there was that no call and that P.I. in the NFC Championship game. That was followed by my man getting death threats across social, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And then that was followed by him doing a hell of an interview with Bleacher Report. Tyler Dunn of Bleacher Report. And as hard as NRC hit Tommy Lee Lewis, he was hitting even harder in the interview. He's got one for Sean Payton. There's a lot of talk about what he said about Tom Brady. (laughs) Going under the radar was this clapback on Sean Payton. Quote, we outplayed them, we outschemed them, and we outcoached them. The Saints need to hold themselves accountable. They did not play championship football. Their numbers were low. Michael Thomas had 36 yards receiving. They had 50 yards rushing. They didn't capitalize on the turnovers we made early. We capitalized on the breaks that we got at the end. About this guy. This guy damn near decapitates somebody else. Before the ball gets there, like five minutes early, and he's going on about, hey, man, look in the mirror. Look in the mirror. You got schooled. We totally outplayed you. We totally outclassed you, top to bottom. Stop looking at the referee. Look at the scoreboard. And he was just getting started. He had a little something for Benjamin Watson. Ben Watson posted on social media that the league needed to make a statement about the no call. NRC said, quote, Ben Watson, you didn't even play. Be quiet. I respect you as a 14-year veteran. I respect you as a league rep. But no, in this case, no, bro. No, bro. He just no-broed Ben Watson. Ben Watson, 14-year NFL vet. Class, class guy. And for all of you complaining about the hit itself, I mean, I just said it myself, that he nearly decapitated a dude five minutes before the ball got there. For people like me, apparently, and everybody else complaining about the hit, NRC's got a little something for you all. Quote, quote, I put his ass on a Waffle House frying pan. It was football. If you don't know the sport, well then, newsflash, we hit people. It's the NFL. And sometimes we'd rather take a flag and hit somebody than somebody catch and score on us. End quote. Waffle House frying pan smack. It's incredible. And they chase that with, if you don't know the sport, then newsflash, we hit people. It's the NFL. And sometimes we'd rather take a flag and hit somebody than somebody catch and score on us. The guy literally just admitted again that he did it. Like, I got beat. Better that I knock this guy out and I do it before the ball gets there than he beats me and makes me look bad and they win. And then, and then once somebody pulled him off the Saints, then he had his sights set on the Patriots. And because he started his career with the Bills, facing the Patriots is different. Quote, I've got Buffalo blood running through my veins. So you know I hate these guys. I naturally hate them. I never liked New England. And just goes on and on. It gets better. This is how he wants to approach the game. I'll read you another quote. Stick a dagger in them. They're not a team that you want to play around with. Stick the dagger in them and don't leave it in them. Take it out. Let them leak. Let them leak slow. Put the dagger in them, pull it out, and let them leak slow. Just kill them slowly. That's how you do them. End quote. He's trying to get them to bleed out. This guy's going to stab them and take the knife out slowly and let them bleed out for everybody to see. And then, of course, the one that everybody's waiting on, the quote about Tom Brady. Quote, 
Age has definitely taken a toll. For him still to be doing it, that's a great compliment for him. But I think that he's definitely not the same quarterback he was. Movement, speed, velocity, arm strength. He can still sling it, but he's not slinging it as much. Whatever he was doing, because of his age and all that, he's not doing as much of that anymore. He's still doing the same things. He's just not doing as much of it. And sometimes it's not the sharpest, but he still gets it done. End of quote. Oh, hell no. He went there. He went there. He said that age has taken its toll on Tom Brady. Uh Uh-oh. Dumbest thing ever, right? Dumbest thing ever, right? Yeah, wrong. I mean, people are making this sound like the game is over. People are making this sound like NRC just cost the Rams the Super Bowl. To quote this guy himself, newsflash, no, he did not. You really think this guy giving an interview is going to change Tom Brady's approach to that game one iota? Do you really think that Tom Brady had a motivation of six or seven this week, but now it's ten because of something somebody said? The Super Bowl is not going to come down to NRC saying something about Brady a week before the game. And by the way, he said age has taken its toll on this guy, and then he complimented him after it. Wasn't pretty much everybody in America saying the exact same thing? I mean, yeah, Alvy, he kind of walked it back a little bit, right? Question about when I was in Buffalo, they asked me about how Tom Brady is from then to now. Only thing I said was his age. I said nothing about that he's too old. I never said that he's he can't do anything. Only thing I said was his age is the only thing that changed from from now to here. And I feel like his his uh, his skills and his his arm is still strong. He's still the goat. He's still a legend. That's what I want to get across. See, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? It is no big deal. Here's your bottom line: his comments are not going to impact the outcome of that game. Period. His comments are not going to impact the outcome of that game. Number two, if the Patriots win, they will say that his comments impacted the outcome of the game. And they'll be wrong. It's got nothing to do with it. It's got nothing to do with anything. And this is how we start our Tuesday. Tracy Wolfson is my guest. It is so nice to see you. Tracy, how are you? Thanks for having me. This is great. This is great. I want to ask you about last night. I know you were part of the opening ceremony. You've done this before. So for those who have not seen it or been a part of it, what is the experience like? And then how did it compare to the antics that we've seen in previous opening nights? Yeah, it's kind of a circus. It always is. It's gotten more of a circus as the years have gone on. And now that you have fans inside, it's pretty cool. It's electric in there, but it goes by like that really quick. I only did, I did a little halftime interview with Jared Goff, Tom Brady, Akib Tlaib, and Devin McCourty. And that was all of four minutes. You know, you were on and you were off. But it's good. You know, it's nice to kind of get the lay of the land and see everyone, see and be seen, shake some hands, you know, wish them good luck. But you know, our week really starts later on once we get to meet with those teams. We're talking to Tracy Wolfson. Now, as you prepare for Sunday, what are some of the storylines in the Super Bowl and this matchup that interest you the most? Yeah, well, I think I'm covering the Rams sideline. So I think, first and foremost, the girly situation, right? Everyone wants to know, is he hurt? You know, was it just what Sean McVay called? And I think we'll know that early on. And I, I think it's all going to be fine, and we're going to see him run the ball a lot. I think when you talk about this team, it's the youth versus the experience that New England has. You talk about Jared Goff, and he was just, he's 17 years, 72 days younger than Tom Brady, right? And Sean McVay being from Atlanta is a great story. There's a good story about him uh, having 
quarterbacked his championship team, beating the number one seed at Marist High School here in Atlanta. He called the last play a naked bootleg. I mean, there's so many tremendous stories. And I love Andrew Whitworth, one of the leaders on this team. He apparently talked to his wife when they first were getting traded, and he said, look, you know, we might not ever win a Super Bowl. This is not why we're going to L.A. We're going to L.A. as a rebuilding year. And just understand that I'm going there as a leader. You know, I might never win a Super Bowl. And here Long answer, Andrew. You might. You might. It's amazing what they've been able to do. Again, we're talking about a team that won four games only a few years back. Tracy Wolfson joining me on set on Radio Row. Now, speaking of Tom Brady, after the win over the Chargers, he famously told you, quote, <laughs> I know everyone thinks that we suck and, you know, can't win any games, end of quote. You've interviewed him so many times. Yeah. Generally, what is his mood like in those situations? And then what did you think when he told you, I know everyone thinks that we suck? Well, I laughed right when he said it because I kind of knew. I had this feeling that he wanted to go there. And I actually had the question prepared to ask him and say, you know, everyone wants to talk about this dynasty declining. What did you guys show out here tonight? And I didn't have time because I had one more question left and I had to ask about Kansas City. And I can tell afterwards, I, and I said it to him the next week, and I'm like, he's like, he gave me a fist pump, and he's like, yeah, Tracy, great job. Look what we did. Because you knew it was calculated. He wanted to, he was just trying to find the right moment in the Tracy, interview to do it. Tracy, is there anything that he does that's not calculated? No, but that's right. what's great about him, right? Yeah. And he knew that maybe his team needed a little bit of a chip on their shoulder or something to kind of rally behind. Well, let me ask you this about that chip, that whole thing about we're underdogs, nobody believes in us, we all suck. (laughs) Do you think that he believes that or is this manufactured and contrived? Does he really think that? I don't think so. He does not. How could he think that? He's got five rings, right? He's going for his sixth. So, no, I don't think that, but I do think he feels and he knows his team well that sometimes maybe his team needs it. And, you know, maybe it's also just a little jab at all those haters out there. When it gets cold out there, your vehicle needs some extra attention. O'Reilly Auto Parts has everything you need to keep your vehicle toasty warm. From choosing the right antifreeze for your engine to replacing your windshield wiper blades, O'Reilly will help get your car or truck in fighting shape for the cold weather ahead. O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices, Every day. We're talking to Tracy Wolfson. She'll be all over the Sunday coverage. What do you make of the relationship as it stands right now between Bill Belichick and Tom Brady? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people want to make it out like they don't get along. I've never seen that. I think they have exactly what they need to have to be successful. I think it's, you know, I don't know how often they go to lunch together or hang out with their spouses but or girlfriends, but I do think that they, you know, they respect each other. They have a tremendous working relationship. They know each other so well. They know what buttons to push. And it's enough to be so successful. Why mess with it? I don't think you have to necessarily be buddy-buddy and best friends with your head coach. But, you know, honestly, none of us know. Right. None of us know, and I wonder if it will ever be revealed after they are both done with the game. It wouldn't be the Patriot way. I think they take that with <laughs> them. To the, I think it goes in the ground with them when right, they're done. Right, goes to their grave. You're exactly Listen, right. it, is, it is your second Super Bowl as a sideline reporter, so I'm curious, what is Super Bowl day like for you? How different is it from every other game over the course of the year? Yeah, I always go in, though, treating it like another game because once you kick off, does it that is— work? Does that work? It does— 
It does after kickoff. Okay. Right? So leading up to it, we're doing a lot more because we are at the team hotel. I'll be out there from 8 in the morning on, and we're not kicking off till 6 or whatever time it is later in the day. So I'll be out there at 8 in the morning trying to get kind of like the mood and what's happening, and that's where it's different. You kind of need a little bit of inside access, maybe a player's info or two that you can text. What's going on? What was last night like? What's the mood? Can you give me anything that we can bring to the viewers on the pregame show. So that's something I don't normally have to do. And we'll have two or three hits, and then we'll head over, maybe do an interview off the bus with a player or coach. And then it's a pregame report right before kickoff. And that's where it's not another game. I mean, you kind of look around and you're like, okay, you know, I know how many people are watching right now, but you try just to kind of go into your routine. And then once you kick off, you're just reading and reacting, you know, just like it's another game. And then the post game knowing you're going to get that interview after, you know, the team wins is also a little bit like I remember Super Bowl 50 Tell walking me. off that field after interviewing <laughs> interviewing Peyton Manning. And by the way, we almost didn't get that interview. What happened? Tell me. We were unsure of whether we were going to even do a post-game interview because we're getting them on the podium. And I remember going back and forth. I'm like, do you want DeMarcus Ware? Do you want me to get someone else just so we have something? And they're like, no, we're not going to do it. And all of a sudden, I'm walking off. I'm kind of just like walking towards the podium. La-di-da, my night is done. And all of a sudden, if you can get Peyton, get him. And I'm like, oh, my God. He's got like 100 people surrounding him right now, and now I have to get him. Right. And if you look at the broadcast copy, Patrick Smythe, who's his PR guy, actually says, hold on, Tracy's coming to get you. Wow. And so I like weaseled my way <laughs> in there. There was a point I was standing outside trying to get in where I was like, I might not get this. I might not, but you know, you're not you're not passing up Peyton you, Manning in his final game. You had to get that game. right. You were not you were not not going to get that, no. Tracy. And but what was great about it is it wasn't planned. Right. So in my mind, I didn't have these kind of set questions. I knew what I had to ask, you know, about his future, but I didn't know how it was going to come out and how we were going to word it to make it. Not just so. Are you coming back next year? <laughs> you know, I, that's, it's an amazing story in and of itself. It's so hard, isn't it? Because folks are so quick to say, how can you do that? How can you ask that question? That's his moment. Well, it's our job. Yeah. And we have to navigate the line. And the line maybe sometimes moves a little bit. But you have to ask a tough question. And you can ask a tough question without being disrespectful or ruining the moment, right? Yes. And there's a relationship there between Peyton Manning and myself. And it's not like we didn't discuss it going into the weekend about what his future was. And all of my pregame reports were about him standing up in front of the team the night before. And so it'll be interesting on Sunday because Brady has come out and said, zero chance that I am retiring after this game. But do you still have to ask it if he wins a championship? I mean, it's... Yes. You, you know, because everyone else who, by the way, doesn't read every press conference and notes doesn't know that he came out and well, said that. Well, especially on a day like that when nobody, there are people who don't watch football all year long. They have no idea. And they're like, he just no. won a sixth championship. And, and, and I don't think he's going to say to you, by the way, I covered that at the press a few <laughs> days back, right? I think. One last thought really quickly. Then there's that kick six game between Bama oh and Auburn. God. Where were you positioned on that final play? I was on the Alabama sideline preparing for the interview. Mm. And it was total chaos. And I had my sideline producer, who's still my sideline producer this day. And as soon as it happened, I'm like, you go get Chris Davis. I'll go get the coach. And we just went in different directions. Chris Davis was being carried on someone's shoulder. And I remember pulling at him and going, get him down. We need to interview him. We need to interview him. That was awesome. 
The big game is next weekend, and how many big plays have you missed because you were stuck babysitting the grub on the grill? There is a very easy solution. Masterbuilt Smokers. Let a Masterbuilt Smoker simplify your game day experience with the perfect smoked foods. That way you spend more time with your family and friends and you can enjoy the big game. They have the perfect smoker for everybody with options featuring the ease of electric, traditional charcoal, or the convenience of propane. Let Masterbuilt Smokers do all the work and you take all the credit. Masterbuilt Smokers are available at Home Depot, Lowe's, Sam's Club, Academy, Bass Pro, and Cabela's. And for more information, recipe, and tips, simply go to masterbuilt.com. That's masterbuilt.com. Austin Hooper joining us. Then you got the game itself, right? I mean, getting the invite is an honor. What about the experience? I mean, like, the game is tricky, right? Because you scored. You're competitive. I know you want to win, but guys who are there don't want to get hurt and aren't all going full speed. How did you handle it? Yeah, the uh, it being freezing rain didn't incentivize <laughs> right. us to play any faster either. I mean, uh, <laughs> shocker. But, um, yeah, I went out there. I mean, I, I uh, you know, you got to respect the tempo or else people will start putting the Superman cape on and you'll realize why they're really there. But um, <laughs> it was such a tremendous experience. I mean, got, getting to meet all those guys. Another thing, Jim, too, I mean, no one really had an ego. I mean, everyone had such a mutual amount of respect for each other. And we're just like, no way. I watch this guy on film all the time. He comes up and says hello. It's very complimentary. So, I mean, it, it was a cool fraternity I got to be a part of. Um, got to meet a lot of cool people, forged some really fun relationships. I mean, just tremendous experience for all the families as well. So, I mean, I, I enjoyed it. I mean, the game, you know, it is what it is. I mean, but uh, being able to create all those connections was, was special to me. Austin Hooper joining us. You think maybe it's time to change the venue? Because as you point out, the fact that there was some freezing rain did not really help the rhythm or tempo of the thing. Is it time to move that thing back to, well, the Super Bowl city prior to the game or back to Hawaii? Buddy, I mean, I, it was raining. I was like, I thought, I thought we're in Florida right now. Like, well, <laughs> right? What's going on? <laughs> but, I mean, I definitely should be, uh, think it should be in a warm weather city. I mean, whether you think it should go down to Miami or Hawaii, where it's historically been, or just, you know what, just take it to a place that has an indoor stadium. Like, There's that. If, if, if you want to see some decent play whatsoever, do not put people in the freezing rain with no access to towels or benches. You're going to see guys chill to the bone like, wait, I really don't have to run through the sky if I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> Did, do you think would have made that much of a difference? I mean, is that thing not? It is what it is. I mean, I, I didn't bring you on is. here to kill the Pro Bowl, but nah, it no, is I what mean, it you, is, right? You can't kill it. it. I mean, it's not on, going Jeff. anywhere. You can ask me whatever, but it is what it is. Like it's a necessary evil. I mean, what are you about to do, guys? In the contract here, what are you about to do? High low him? <laughs> you about right. to chop block this guy? Then all of a sudden, next play, you will get the Pro Bowl. Is, pass is it just rusher? understood? I mean, are there like side deals that have to be explained to the new guys, or is it understood? There's like a I mean, brotherhood they're here. They're the basics that you. I mean, everyone at home knows about it. I mean, like, no cut blocks and no, you know, blow-up shots. So, you know, in, in turn, tight end going across the middle. If I see your ribs fully exposed, I'm not going to end your career. By the same token, if I don't see you, better not crack back on me either. So, I mean, it's it's interesting being a uh, first-year player or first time in the Pro Bowl after my third season being a part of it. So, I mean, just do not be a tempo violator. That's what I heard throughout the week. Do not violate the tempo. Yeah, I love that line. Respect Explain what you mean tempo. by that. I love that line. Explain what that means. If you are going 80 miles an hour, I am going 80 miles an hour. If you are going 80 miles an hour, do not go 200 miles an hour. <laughs> do not violate the tempo. <laughs> you got to go with the flow of traffic. 
Absolutely right. right. Flow it's of not traffic. That hard, it's not man. the speed limits. Flow of traffic. That's it. Boom. Austin Hooper joining us, breaking it down. All right, so the end of the year, the year didn't go necessarily the way you would have liked, but you won your last three games. It might have been easy at 4-9 and nine for guys to start to check out, maybe mail it in. That's not what happened. What's it say about the character of this team, and does any of that carry over to next season? I think that's a credit to, uh, to Dan Quinn and just how, uh, how he leads men. I mean, a lot of guys, like you alluded to, could have just been – you know, every night go on their computer and be like, all right, hey, babe, uh, we got these flights for Hawaii all lined up. You know, all we need to do is lose one more. No, forget that. I mean, Quinn kept our minds all focused on the wow. task at hand and allowed us to, you know, obviously things weren't going the way we were going. But, I mean, it was, just, it was just a pride thing for us. I mean, how do we want things to end? So, I mean, we made sure we put our best foot forward and ended the season the right way, uh, which was cool to start playing some cool ball. But, I mean, at the end of the day, you wait till the end to start playing good ball. I mean, that's why you got to do it in the beginning and the middle as well. You mentioned this is how he leads men. I mean, NFL locker room is like, it's a really different place. You've got alphas, 53 alphas, the best of the best, guys who are dominant mentally, physically. What type of a guy does it take? Not only that, Jim, like Matt Bryant, my rookie year, I was 21. Matt Bryant was 41. Other than our day job, what do we have in common? Yeah, right. Matt has like four kids. I just left a dorm room. (laughs) <laughs> so the the ability for Quinn to create everyone, no matter what stage you are in life, you know, married, single, whatever, you know, first year, however long Matt's been around for, right, to just keep everyone on the same page and create that brotherhood he was talking about where no one's just out there by themselves and uh, just get to feel this unique bond. It Is it weird, though, in a game where guys don't come back the next year? I mean, guys often, their contracts are up, guys get hurt, things change. Reality How hard of sports. Is it? it is reality of sports, but especially in the NFL. How does that factor in? I mean, you're trying to keep everybody together. Yeah, I mean, you want to keep the band together as long as you can, but at the end of the day, um, I mean, people aren't taking pay cuts. I mean, it's just realistically, it is what it is. I'm it's understood, gonna, right? Yeah, I'm just going to keep it real with you guys. I mean, um, you got you to gotta do right by you and your family. So, I mean, that's, that's where Dan Quinn comes into play and just uh, creates his brotherhood where even though, you know, a bunch of guys across the league are part of other teams, I mean, as soon as the game's over, you know, we play hard against each other, all that good stuff, but we still remember the fun times we had. Like, my rookie year, that... Super Bowl 51 team. I'm sure all of us, you know, we could see, see a guy walking down the street 15 years later and we still have that unique bond and connection. So I think that's a credit to what uh, Quinn built in Atlanta. Well, Austin Hooper joining me for a few more moments. He's on Radio Row. This is his town now. You mentioned Matt Ryan. I've got to ask you, those workouts then, when you work out with him in the offseason, what are the workouts like and what's your biggest takeaway from that time? Just one-on-one route running. So, I mean, I just... I'm just like his golden retriever. He's like, all right, man, we're doing go routes today. I'm just going to throw it down the field. you got to go get it. I'm like, all right, let's work on it, whether it's five-yard outs. And the worst, though, Jim, is when he wants to do an up-tempo workout. It's, it's his conditioning day. So he's like, I'm going to throw your route every 10 yards. But what he doesn't realize is, like, oh, this is great conditioning for me. I'm like, you know who's great conditioning for? The guy who's running all these 30-yard quarter say, where, routes. Where does his conditioning back. come in? Right. He's like, oh, I'm running 10 yards. I'm like, buddy, I'm running 40. <laughs> <laughs> but I love Run it, it again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Run it again. Yeah, yeah, I got that, Pops. <laughs> I'll run that again. <laughs> this is a lot play, of fun. You, <laughs> it sounds like an awesome time. You played your high school ball, one of the most legendary programs yep. in the country, Concord de la Salle. What was it like to play football there? It was cool being uh, Coach Bob Latticer's last senior captain. I mean, that was something I got to take with me forever. I mean, just all the tradition uh, that's been through there. I mean, the uh, NFL players and a bunch of D1 guys who come before me, it's just a standard that they've set. And I've tried to, you know, emulate since I was in eighth grade, and here we are. Listen, you had a touchdown in the Super Bowl against the Patriots. Forgetting the result for a moment, the experience itself. Incredible. Like, 
Yeah, tell me about that. Like, I mean, I've had guys over and over again tell me what it's like when they hit that tunnel, man. The guys can't breathe. They're so yeah. amped. They literally yeah. can't breathe. What's it like right before the game, and then what's it like in the game? It was awesome, too, Jim. It was my rookie year. I was like, wow, this is this is football. I had, a, I had a bowl game last year, and I have a bowl game this year. I'm like, this is awesome. And the 10-year vets were, like, grabbing me like that big kid in Billy Madison. Like, enjoy it. Like, I didn't know. And you're like, like, I am. You're like, I am. I'm like, what? This is and just I will another next game. year and the year after. Yeah, I keep right, going back. exactly. Like, 21 years old, didn't know anything. I was like, my, my buddies asked me all the time, like, were you nervous? I was like, during the national anthem, I was super nervous. But once you got that initial first hit on that opening drive, then everything just melted out. And you realize, like, oh, this is your 23rd football game, including preseason this year. It's just another game. Once you get that first hit, yeah, I mean, I mean, if you if you let the lights and cameras, you you allude to it all the time. If you let the stage be too big for you, you don't play fast. So I mean, you just got to keep it simple and be yourself. You know, one thing about the system too. Dirk Cutter is coming in as offense coordinator. You know this guy now. When he called plays for Tony Gonzalez. I mean, Tony was a freak of nature. Tony's a Hall of Famer, but the system was so good for him and for any tight end. The numbers speak for themselves. Knowing that, how excited are you to dive in and learn his offense? Very excited. Just take a look at what he's done with O.J. Howard and um, Cameron Brait down in Tampa recently. I mean, and while I was down at the Pro Bowl, Mike Evans was t- telling me about Dirk style. I mean, the way he uses big body receivers and tight ends in the red zone, I think, from what Mike described to me, is going to be the biggest change. I mean, he just does different things to attack the red zone, does bigger bodies to do it. So I'm really excited from watching this film from afar and watching old Tony G, Dirk Cutter film. So all I can do is just learn the language and play as fast as possible. What do you think when you see Gronk right now? Does Gronk, does he look like Gronk to you, the same player that he's always been? Or do you think maybe he's dealing with some issues, some physical issues that maybe he's not letting on about? I mean, Gronk's already in the Hall of Fame, so there's nothing I can say to be super critical of him. I mean, first ballot Hall of Fame guy, but I mean, I'll be lying to you if I said all the hits and all the broken things and torn ligaments and, you know, muscles haven't dropped him at least 1% in his game. I mean, Father Time's undefeated. We all know that. I mean, it's just... Your mortality as a player shrinks. I mean, the more and more hits you take, I mean, the more and more your body suffers. It it can affect you. I mean, when you see him when he is healthy, he's still Gronk, but can he be Gronk 16 games a year? Yeah, I'm not sure about that, but yeah. to see the way he's still throwing guys around, man, to see him oh, in the run game, to see him block. does everything. How much do you respect that? Incredibly. I mean, the nature of the position or for most tight ends, is outrun someone 40 pounds lighter than you right? or block someone who's 40 pounds heavier. Gronk's like, well, I'm the size of the defensive end. I'm just still going to run by the little guys and have tremendous ball skills and have this nonverbal communication with Tom Brady where the ball's in the air and he just turns his head just in the nick of time. It's in the perfect spot, and they've done it for such a high level for such a long time. I mean, I'm excited to see what they do on Sunday. All right, so what are you doing Sunday, Austin? How do you approach that? Are you going to watch the game, not watch the game? Where do you watch the game? It's in your town now. Jim, what do you I'm, do with it? I'm not that salty. I'll definitely watch the game. I'll definitely watch the game. I'll probably, uh, my buddy's family's from Spain, so they're doing a nice paella. So be over there eating food, watching the Super Bowl out of the craziness, which is going to be, you know, square mile around the stadium. And, uh, Boogie on back home. Dude, I'm, I'm so after. glad to hear you say it, man. Like, I understand where some guys are like, man, if I'm not playing, I'm not watching. All right, that's fine. But you were a fan of the, the game Bowl, before right, you man. were a player. Like, right? you grew up as a fan of the game as a kid before you were in this business. So, I mean, just be who you are. I still love ball. All right, Matt. So where should I go? If I get out one night this week and I need a good dinner, I've got no plans. I have not set this thing up the right way. Where should I go? Marcel Steakhouse is a good one. Um, 
know, we can talk when the cameras are off for a couple other good places, but um, Marcel Steakhouse would be a very good spot. Justin Forsett is my guest. Justin, so good to see you, man. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. Thanks for having me. Dude, you and I were talking off the air. So you've spent some time in and around Javier's in Newport <laughs> Beach, but you've never hit Javier's. No, no. I was always at Mastro's. I was always <laughs> okay. eating the butter cake, getting, okay. getting big. Okay, now, yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, so eating the butter cake, getting big. When you played... Is that a cheat meal? Could you do that? Or when you played, did you stay away from that altogether? Those are cheat meals. Definitely cheat meals where I can go to Mastro's and get a butter cake or, you know, uh, one of those big porterhouse steaks. <laughs> okay, then. Good. Good. I'm glad to hear it. Now, during the Patriots game, you tweeted, quote, I've seen this movie a hundred times. I still fool myself into thinking there's going to be a different outcome. SMH. When it was tight in the fourth quarter, was there any doubt in your mind that Tom Brady and the Patriots were going to do what they do, finish that game and advance? No, not in the fourth quarter. I mean, when he had that much time left on the clock to come down and score, I knew uh, he was going to do it. Uh, now, when they went into overtime, I was like, okay, there's, some, there's, some, there's a chance that the Chiefs, if they can get the ball first, that they can end this game. But, you know, they ended up, uh, Brady gets the ball and runs down the field like it's, you know, a piece of cake. Yeah, but when, butter cake. Yeah, that, that is <laughs> yes. butter cake, man. Yeah, but when, when the tail or when the coin came up heads, was there any doubt in your mind that game was already over? No. No, I knew once they had the ball, it's going to be hard to stop Tom. Uh, I mean, I know they were, going, they were going in for the kill. They weren't selling for a field goal. Justin Forsett joining us. Now, for all the talk about Sean McVay and the offense for the Rams, the offensive line does not get a lot of attention, right? During the game against Dallas, though, you were all over that. You tweeted, quote, the lanes that the Rams OL are creating are ridiculous. You can literally bird box challenge your way into the end zone. <laughs> great vision by the backs and a great push by the OL. So what were you seeing from L.A.'s line that impressed you so much? Man, as a running back, I'm looking at, okay, when, when is the first point of contact for the back? And it wasn't until he was getting to the second level. That's when you know that the, the lanes are there, the offensive line are sustaining blocks, uh, and, they got, and they have tremendous push. And C.J. was going, running downhill, especially in that game, running downhill, and his first contact was punishing the safety. And uh, you don't want that as a safety or a secondary, a secondary player, especially in the fourth quarter. Can you explain this to me? I mean, I already know the answer. It's my listeners that I'm bumping up against. They get a real kick out of CJ. Like, yo, man, look how fat that guy is. I'm like, listen, <laughs> listen, 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 listen. Maybe he could drop a few pounds. Yeah. Maybe he'd be the first one to say that. But to your point, if my man has got a head of steam and he's running downhill and the first guy that he sees and has contact with is the safety, that safety's going to finish. Feel that, right? Yes. Oh, no, he's definitely going to feel every, 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 every pound. He's going he's gonna to feel it. And, and CJ, he's big, but he's always been big. You know, he's added a little more. You can see it a little bit more because he was on the couch a few weeks uh, b before he got with the Rams. But uh, he's an athlete. You can see, I look at not only his downfield running, but, okay, what does his lateral movement look like? Is he able to sidestep guys? Is he able to jump cut? And he still has those abilities, and you see it on game day. And uh, so him being big, like, his, I, I look at the bus. Like, those guys, like, they were big. And look for, for the average eye, you think, oh, this guy can't, can't move or anything. But they were you know, they're athletic. They're, they're agile. That is one running back talking about another running back, and hopefully that never comes up on this show ever again. <laughs> you heard it from somebody who played nine years in the NFL. What about the other guy in that backfield? I mean, granted, you're not with that team, but uh -huh. as you look at Todd Gurley, he played really well against Dallas, had a really strange game against the Saints. Uh -huh. What do you think happened? Man, I think it's a health issue. You know, uh, I think that I watched him on the sideline. I watched him on the bike. I watched his body language. He was constantly stretching. And for me as a player, I knew if I was – if my mind, like, that's what I would do if I was injured. Something wasn't healthy with me. Like, I'm trying to stay warm and stay loose so when I got my number called, I'll be ready because you don't want to get tight and stiff. 
So I think it was an injury issue where he maybe was focusing on that. And, uh, you know, I think that this week he had two, two, two weeks to rest. Um, and get healed up, and I think we see a different talk early this week. All right, so when you see that body language, there was nothing about his body language that told you, it's just not my day. I'm not having a good day. I'm not playing well. They're taking me out of the game because I'm not right. Yeah, I think that, I think it had a lot to do with it. Of course, he made some, you know, he dropped some passes early in the game, but his body language on the sideline, that was a telltale that something wasn't wrong, that something wasn't right on his body somewhere. Justin Forsett joining us. Now, when you retired, you had a great line, a great line. Quote, scouts measured my height, said I was too short. They measured my 40, said I was too slow. They looked at my build and said I wouldn't last. End quote. How much pride then is there in having the career that you had despite everybody saying all these things? Man, uh, it's a blessing, you know, to be able to play as long as I did, be able to walk out on my own terms and and, and good health. I mean, it was... uh, you know, it was a dream, dream come true, man, just to have that and be successful and be able to now inspire people and encourage people that, you know, it doesn't matter about your height, your height or your size or so-called limitations. Go out and be great. How do they miss so badly, though? I mean, we're talking <laughs> about nine years, man. Nine years in a really, really good career. How did so many people who are paid to know miss that badly? Man, uh, it happens, you know. I mean, I don't wow anybody when I walk off of a bus. You know, I'm 5'8", 195 pounds. Like, that's not that's not your ideal prototypical running back. So, um, you know, some people couldn't get over the height. Let me ask you this. How, how do you know, though? How did you know, right? If everybody's telling you one thing, what did you know about yourself that a lot of other people didn't know? Man, I was built for it. I mean, I put I, day in and day out, I, I prepared as if I was a Pro Bowl running back. Not tw- just in 2014 when I actually, or 2015 when I made a Pro Bowl, but every day I competed. I competed against the best. I learned from some of the best. I, I mean, coming even from college with J.J. Arrington and Marshawn Lynch and Javid Best and Shane Vereen competing with these guys day in and day out. Then when I got to the NFL, I had Edron James. I had Julius Jones, T.J. Duckett. Uh, I had a number of guys, Arian Foster, Maurice Jones-Drew, that I can just be a sponge and learn until I got my shot and I stay ready for my moment. All right, so when the cheering stops and you're no longer part of that, and uh-huh. you're no longer part of that grind, does the grind transfer to something else? What do you do with all that passion when you've been so <laughs> singularly focused on that one thing for so long? Absolutely. I'm an I'm, I'm uh, entrepreneur, man. I have a startup, so I have to trans, uh, transfer that grind into my startup life, my life as a, a, a CEO, now of a company. So it doesn't stop. No, in fact, you get a lot of inspiration from a lot of different places. Justin Forsett's my guest. In November, you were in New Orleans. You were out to dinner. At one point in your meal, you saw, quote, <laughs> the biggest rat I've ever seen run across the floor. I, I got to know, how did you handle that? Did you oh, man. run out the door with it? Did you pull somebody aside and go, hey, yo, man, that, that's a really big rat over there? What did you do? So it was a weird scenario. So we had just finished our dinner. Me and my wife, we were out. It's having a nice little New Orleans dinner. And uh, we just, at the end, when we were finishing up, we just see this big creature run through the restaurant. And it was so big that people on the other side of the restaurant, they knew that something ran by. They didn't even see it. It was like, what was that? They just felt this presence. So it's uh, so amazing. We, we told the waitress, like, hey, we just saw a rat bag that you might want to go check it out. I mean, it looked like a, like a I don't know, a, a squirrel or something that ran across the the, the, the dining room floor. So it was crazy. So we got our food and we went. Yeah, right? Yeah. Got our dessert to go. 
<laughs> you still wanted to eat your dessert after yeah, you yeah, saw yeah. a rat the size of a dog. Yeah, yeah. Well, we we figured that it, it was allergic to brownies. The rat was a, <laughs> the butter cake. Yeah, maybe just wanted the butter cake. That's what that is. I got a sweet tooth, man. You know, I, I hear you. I got some of that too. You know, last week also you tweeted a message where you were encouraging people to be bold. Part of what you talked about was a young man who delivered some food to you last week. Uh-huh, yeah. What, yeah. Tell me what happened after he left, and what did you make of that? Man, it was crazy. So I ordered. I ordered. Uh, uh, from a delivery service, and they delivered to my home. And I, the guy came and picked the, he dropped the food off and recognized who I was. And, at, and then he called me back on the phone, which was kind of weird. I was like, okay, this is like kind of unprofessional to call me back. And he was like, hey, man, are you Justin Forsett, you know, for the Baltimore Ravens? Like, you play in the NFL. I was like, yeah. He was like, I'm a young kid. I, I just want your help. I'm trying to get into college. Uh, somewhere, can I send you some tape or something? I was like, sure, man. Give my email address, and uh, and I'm gonna try to help him out. Hunt, did you respect that that I hustle? Res- I respect the hustle and grind because you have to be bold in order to get what you want. You got to be confident. You got to re- be willing to take risks. You can't get you can't get anywhere playing it safe. So I understand that as an entrepreneur and an athlete. All right, so you're running a startup. Yep. Is it what you thought it would be, or is it did been different than what you expected? Man, uh, I'm reading right now, uh, Shoe Dog. Uh, just the story of Phil Knight and just understand that entrepreneurship is a very messy process. And I didn't realize how messy it can be, um, you know, until, you know, I'm in it. Uh, and what I mean messy is just a grind. It's a day in and day out. I, I'm more busy now than I ever was playing football constantly, whether it's customer service, whether it's manufacturing, uh, whether it's product development, uh, marketing, all those different pieces that you're in, tr- in control of that require your time and effort. So, and uh, you're trying to lead a team to, to, to ha- kind of help everybody else uh, reach their full potential. So uh, it's, it's a lot of work and it's a lot of, a lot of grind, but it's been uh, able to fulfill that fire that I had as a player. Dude, is there any point, I mean, to that point, fulfilling that fire? Mm-hmm. You know, if you've got an issue on the field, the practice field during the game, within reason, you can line somebody up and handle your business, right? Yeah. Not so much in the business world. That's not how that works. No. No, no. you got to be humble. Um, you know, whether you come up with issues, um, the customer is always right, you know, for the most part. And uh, you got to handle you got to handle each uh, uh, each scenario accordingly. And uh, I've been I've been doing I, I feel like, um, you know, we've been doing a great job as a company and just growing our brand and uh, uh, allowing people to know, understand who, who we are as uh, as shower pill. Not only that we create really cool personal care products for for people on the go, but also uh, we do good. Like whether we're helping out uh, sponsor youth sports teams, you know, know, with our our free play initiative where we make sure that what, you know, youth sports expenses are getting crazy. Like, like people from communities where I'm from can't afford to play uh, youth sports and travel sports these days. And we give sponsorships so kids can play or we in disaster relief scenarios. We're helping out people where it was in Puerto Rico and Houston when hurricanes hit and they don't have water already available. So they need our products. So, we do good. Justin Forsett joining us. You know, I'm a little bit too close to it. You and I have talked about the shower pill in the past. For those who do not know, what is the shower pill? Yeah, so it's a disposable washcloth. It's an antibacterial towel that removes sweat, dirt, and body odor after any interval of sweat, whether you're leaving the gym, uh, camping, hiking, youth sports activities, uh, yoga, you're in the military, uh, you name it. Anytime you're sweating, we're able to, we're able to be there to uh, keep you clean and fresh. Right now, you've been on the big stage before. You know what pressure is. You went on Shark Tank. Yes. In an episode that aired last January. That means uh-huh. you're going into a studio, under the lights, and you're pitching people like Mark Cuban. Yes. You've been in pressure situations before. What did that one feel like? Man, that was different. That was different. That was reality TV. You know, you're in there with the director, producer, and under the lights, and you got 
you know, six billionaires, mega millionaires right there in front of you analyzing your company. And uh, it was a great experience for us because it allowed us to really grow uh, uh, as a team and as a company. And uh, really learned a lot from that experience. Even though we didn't get a deal, uh, great exposure and uh, really changed the trajectory of our company. All right, so you didn't get a deal, but you know how it is. I mean, you're used to breaking down film. Yeah. What was it like when you got back home and you had some time and you watched yourself and you watched that performance? What kind of things did you see when you watched it back? Man, just being able to prepare more, um, you know, when I when I the day that we filmed that, I was like fresh out of football, you know, uh, even though I've been, you know, running this business or, you know, co-founder of this business for a while, like it's been my full first full time uh, opportunity to kind of really run it and, and uh, you know, just didn't prepare like I should have. And. We um, really had a fumble on national TV, and I had to go back and say, man, I can never allow that to happen again. And to this day, like that, every day I wake up in the morning, I think about that Shark Tank moment. I think about that, that fumble on national TV, and that drives me to, so that I never happen again. I can't even watch the show anymore, by the way. Sir, is, is that how that <laughs> felt? You felt like you dropped, you put the ball on the ground? Yeah, put the ball on the ground. And the only way I know how to do is have a short-term memory, learn from it, and grow and, uh, and get better. Not, not allow that thing to define me, but refine me. All right, so if people want more information or they want to buy the shower pill, where do they go? So we just got a big deal with Target. That's awesome. So we're in all 1,800 Congrats. stores. Thank you. Across the nation, which is a big win for us in the sporting goods section. And uh, you can also buy us on Amazon and showerpill.com. That's an amazing thing to get inside of Target. All right, one last thought. You mentioned the Ravens. You uh-huh. look at Lamar Jackson, man. This guy's an absolute stud. But when you look at the hits that he took this year, how concerned would you be going forward if that's the kind of offense they run with him? Yeah, man, I, I, I love the offense that how they how they're using him. There has to be some growth and maturity in the, this, like the passing game. Of course, we all saw that, and I think every week that he he improved in that area. So I'm pretty excited to see what they're, what they're going to do this offseason with him. What kind of wrinkles they're going to add into it? Because um, even though we don't want him to get hit, it's hard to hit. It's hard to hit something you can't see. Right. He's that fast. Will Brenson joins me right now. Will, what's going on? How are Jim, you? A pleasure, man. Always good to see you. Thank you for having me. Getting to grace this my tremendous man, set. My man, we consider you a very good friend of the program. You're doing a show for CBS HQ this week. How's that been going? What's that been like so far? Uh, it's, it's been great. We had Pete Prisco on. He said that uh, and ben, well, ben Vola and Pete Prisco both said Aaron Donald won't be a factor in the Super Bowl. So we get a little buzz from that quotable. But, you know, hour of live video on the, on the Internet. Did, they, did they explain how the hood was going to erase a guy with 20 and a half sacks? Uh, sort of. I mean, they basically said they're going to double and triple team him into oblivion, but I don't know if I buy that because then you leave Indominus Sue open, you leave Dante Fowler open. It's not that easy, but Belichick is great at taking away your most dangerous weapon. Right, so is that the thing? I mean, we know that about Belichick. He will take away your most dangerous weapon. How about offensively? What's he looking to take away if he's looking to take away your most dangerous weapon? Well, I mean, I think if you're Bill Belichick, what you do is you have Stephon Gilmore, who's your top cornerback. You put him on Robert Woods, who's sort of the number two, but a more, you know, like a, a guy that Gilmore would match up more traditionally. Then you double Brandon Cooks, and you say, look, we're going to flow to this outside zone. We're not going to fall for the jet sweeps and stuff like that. We're going to bottle up Todd Gurley, and if we do that, you're going to have to pass all day long. And then all of a sudden we have favorable matchups with that double team on Cooks and that single coverage on Woods. And I don't know what the Rams do in that situation. I mean, you know, this is – look, the Rams are really good. And Sean McVay is really smart. But Bill Belichick is the ultimate equalizer here. Unless Will Brinson joining us. Unless, of course, the Rams can do what they want to do, namely run the football. If they can run the football, it sets everything up. We know that Jared Goff can take advantage of play fakes, play action. Do you think they can run the ball on the Patriots? I don't 
No, I don't. I mean, like, I don't. I understand that the Patriots aren't great against the run, but Bill Belichick has two weeks to prepare and to work on the fundamentals with these guys, these veteran players on the front seven who aren't going to fall for the gimmicks and the fakes and all that. So, unless Sean McVay can reinvent all his tendencies and get away and do something totally new, which is he's smart, he could do it. I think that they're going to struggle to run the ball. I don't think Todd Gurley's healthy. I don't buy. I get he's down on the injury report, and they say it's just conditioning. But come on, he's Todd freaking Gurley. You're holding out the best running back in football because of conditioning? Uh, I don't know. Listen, I don't know exactly what happened, but something happened, all right? The guy was not right, but he looked fine against Dallas. He looked fine against Dallas and did not look good at all against New Orleans. Again, I've got a tremendous threshold for this guy's pain. I don't know what's going on. I think there's something wrong, and I don't think it's that he didn't want to play on the big stage and shut it down or went into the tank because he put one on the ground. Obviously, that was not a good thing for him, but I, I personally think there's something wrong with him physically. There has to be. But, like, well, unless you buy the argument, though. Well, the people, some are trying to make the argument, no, no, he's fine physically. They say he's fine physically. He says he's fine not because he's saying it doesn't mean he is. But, I mean, I, I just can't get to a place of the stage was too big and he shut down. Right. Todd Gurley, this guy's been on the biggest stage his entire life. I mean, now, look, he's from Tarboro, North Carolina, small town near, near where I live. Right. But, I mean, he got to Georgia. You know, he, he played in these big games. He's not scared of these big stages. And the idea that he would just wither from the spotlight? No way. Todd Gurley loves the spotlight. He was in it yesterday. But it's either he's hurt or he's not hurt. It, it, this can't be some mental conditioning type of thing. Will Brinson joining us. All right, so what about the Pats? When you look at them, are you thinking to yourself, great, great, another Super Bowl with the Patriots. I'm sick of these guys. Or when you look at them, are you just in awe that they're back again? Yeah, I mean, look, this is this is my ninth Super Bowl for CBS, which is kind of wild. Fifth time the Pats have been here in that stretch. Like, thanks. You know, it's been a blast covering you guys, but maybe something new. Maybe some Mahomes in my life. I, I, this is the most impressive job by Belichick and Brady, I think, in the in the third rendition of their dynasty. I think you split it up. You had the early stages where it's you know first they're the underdogs. The you know Brady's this just a winner who finds ways to win in the fourth quarter. Then you have the we're murdering everybody with our offense in the 2007 undefeated team. Uh, then you have this third stage where Brady is a is a blend of those guys. They they have a modern passing offense through the through the running backs. Gronk continues to develop, but this group with their age the. Way the way that Gronk struggled in the regular season, the way they lost Sony Michelle for some time, the way they had to reinvent themselves as a power run team, this to me is the most impressive effort in the in the third uh, rendition of the Patriots dynasty. Will Brinson joining us. Now, the third edition or rendition of the dynasty, but how differently would we see them if D4 does not line up in the neutral zone and Kansas City ends up winning that game? Then how are we talking about them? I think there would be a narrative. It's like, well, the Patriots just can't win on the road. Because they haven't, they haven't traditionally been great on the road. I mean, they've, you know, they lost that AFC Championship game in Denver, and that, by the way, that's the undertold story here too. Is that Wade Phillips, the defensive coordinator right. who shut him down, is now on the other side again? I, I think we would wonder about Belichick and Brady not having home field advantage, and we would that that narrative, the the drum beating about the AFC East being their freebie to the to the Super Bowl would get louder and louder. All right, now, JLC, Jason Lock and Four and I were talking about this yesterday. When And you went ahead and you ranked Tom Brady's 41 best receivers, <laughs> and you split them into tiers. Obvious guys on top, like Gronk, Randy Moss, Wes Welker. But it didn't take long for you to get titled or to the title group of, huh? Which included guys like Chris Hogan, Brandon LaFell, Dante Stallworth. How surprising is it that those three guys rank among his all-time receivers? The craziest one is that number 26 on the list in terms of most yards caught, most yards caught with a you know since 2001 by a Patriots player is Josh Gordon. 
The dude wow. was there for like a like a cup of coffee. Five games. Yeah. Right. Uh, and if he if he played another season, he'd be maybe top ten. It, it is. It's and like the guy we go to, Jim. The guy we always go to is like. We're like who? Remember when Tom Brady? It's like 2006. Rache Caldwell. <laughs> like who? These guys are all on this list, and it's like Tom Brady has made more chicken can, salad. Can I say? Can I say though? Well, there's no who about Rache Caldwell on this show, man. The clones are so obsessed with this guy's eyes that, that, that he's <laughs> he is top tier on their list. Hey, he's top tier on the Tom Brady list too. The guy's like one of like Tom Brady's ten greatest receivers ever. So, so how, did, how does this guy make chicken salad out of all that crap? It's unbelievable. I think it. You know, I think the thing that strikes me about the Patriots is that they figured out modern offense before everybody else did. They can plug and play receivers. They have the quarterback. They have pass catching running backs, and they went modern with the way they approach it ahead, of, like five years ahead of everybody else, and it's worked out for them really well. Why can't anybody else do it? Because uh, it's just Brady. No, I mean, I think that I think people are the, the Patriots have some weaknesses. Like they always overdraft cornerbacks, and you know they drafted some wide receivers in the second round that didn't work out. But by and large, they found guys who do specific things very well, like the Edelman and Welker. You always have the mind meld going on with the route tree and the option routes they run with Brady, and so that opens up things where you can utilize guys like Rache Caldwell, um, and then you can utilize Antoine Smith out of the backfield, Kevin Falk, James White. There's always a pass catching running back. All right now, Edelman. Edelman's good. Edelman's really, really good. Is he Hall of Fame good in your no, mind? He's not even close. This is a. I mean, I don't want to insult anybody who might have said it that I might be friends with. It's a trash take. If you think Julian Edelman's in the Hall of Fame, then you are then you are ignoring his regular season stats. I get that he's second all time in postseason stats and postseason catches. That's great, but he has two. Thousand yard receiving seasons in his career. I did, there's Megatron comparisons out there. Get out of here with that. Calvin Johnson's one of the transcendent talents. Is it a slippery slope? If we let Edelman in, do we have to let Rache in too? Yes, yes. You better <laughs> let Wes Welker in. If you look at Julian Edelman's best season, he has lower numbers than Wes Welker's average over six seasons in New England. He averaged 112 catches. 1,200 yards and six touchdowns with the Patriots. And Welker didn't even get a sniff of the Hall of Fame. Well, I'll tell you, though, when he came back, they had a very different look offensively. All of a sudden, stuff started to come together. Now, Sony Michelle had a lot to do with that, of course. But when he missed those four games, they did not look right. And then when he came back, you could see how happy Brady was to see him. What about the Patriots' mystique, right? Aura, does that matter in a game like this? For instance, if you took that same exact team and put them in a different uniform, how big of a difference would it make? Yeah, I, I think that it makes a huge difference. And we tried to get rid of it. I, I did, specifically, like an idiot. Tried to get rid of it before the Chargers game. Tried to get rid of it before the Chiefs game. It exists. It's real. And even Did if you go against them both get, in both those games? Yeah, I'm a moron, Jim. I mean, no, this is I, I well did, established. It's, by the way, I did, too. Yeah, I mean, I thought the Chargers were the better team. And I did, Bel too. And they were the better team, and Belichick coached Anthony Lynn's pants off. And then he went into Kansas City and he outcoached Andy Reid. I don't know if his pants were off, but they were at least down around his like you know his mid, like mid thigh. I mean, it was it was a bad coaching job Easy, by bro. those guys against uh, <laughs> against Belichick. Belichick's made a lot of really good coaches look bad. A lot of really good quarterbacks look bad. If you're the Patriots, what concerns you the most about the Rams? Wade Phillips. As Belichick pointed out, he's never changed his scheme in 30 years. He doesn't change anything he does. He trots his guys out there. He plays the way he wants to play. He has Aaron Donald. He has Indomitian Sue. Dante Fowler's been a factor since he came over in the trade. And he's got cornerbacks, which is always a key in a Wade Phillips defense. Marcus Peters is a loose cannon, and he's going to give up a big play, but the dude will make a pick, and he'll, and he'll take it to the house. Aqib Tlaib knows Brady, knows Belichick really well. Uh, they have talent on this defense, and that would be my concern, that you could see the Rams potentially come out like the Falcons did and I don't think that if the Rams did that and they put pressure on the interior on Brady, 
that they're going to wilt and get tired like the Falcons did. Will Brinson joining me for a few more moments. In terms of how they come out, that to me is really a key. Based on what we've seen from the Patriots in each of their last two games, how do you think they come out on their first drive? And on the flip side, how critical is it that the Rams not give up points on that first drive? I, it's massive because you're spot on. They When they took the ball against the Chargers, that should have been a turnaround and run for me as a, somebody who backed the Chargers. They That was a soul-sucking. I was just going to say soul-crushing. Yeah, like the, at that point it's like, oh, my God, it's 10 a.m. our time. What are we doing here in New England? We're about to get blitzkrieged. And the same thing with the Chiefs. Like, you never see Belichick, you know, take the ball. Be, I think if he takes the ball in the Super Bowl, it says a lot, too. The Rams have to have a stand early on to keep that time of possession and that tempo that the Patriots want to establish, pounding the ball, running with Sony Michelle. they got to keep that offensive line off the field. they got to keep Tom Brady off the field, stop him from scoring, Make him try and make him more one-dimensional than they want to be, and that's how you flip the game. Well, not only that, but they've got to be able to get off the field themselves. Kansas City could not get off the field on third down. How do you think the Rams' defense will show up on third downs against Brady? Yeah, I mean, the one thing that was shocking with the Chiefs is that they didn't seem inherently to care about guarding Julian Edelman. Like, it's third down, bro. You know where Tom Brady's going. It's Julian Edelman. He's his guy in the playoffs on third down. You need to guard Julian Edelman. And they just did such a poor job of it. And the other thing, they were sloppy. Like, the Chiefs didn't look like they were – they looked like they were either too tired or not tight enough, but they weren't there. They were making the mistakes that teams have made against Belichick teams for years, and they were giving away free first downs. And if you do that, you'll lose. All right, Will, before you go, I need to get your immediate reaction to something. What pops into your head when I say the following four words? Jason Garrett, head coach. Uh, <laughs> uh, how? 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 Is he still the head coach? Dude, I think I do. He, he's like the fifth longest tenured head coach in the NFL, and he continually plays conservative. He, he shrivels up in big spots. He looked in the postseason like he was purposely not clapping to troll all of us, which I guess is funny, and he kept laughing about it. But at the end of the day, you knew he wasn't going to win a big game against Bill Belichick or Sean McVay, someone who could outcoach him, and he didn't. All right, so there are questions, obviously, about Jason Garrett as a head coach and offensive mind. Knowing that, what is his offense? What is seeing his offense score one TD in a Pro Bowl where nobody plays any defense? That might be the biggest indictment against this guy ever. Yeah, like, did they wait till Dak Prescott was in to throw a touchdown? What, are you trying to prop your dude up and get him a contract? Like, get out of here. Yeah, you, you have Russell Wilson. You can't score a touchdown in the Pro Bowl? It's insane. I, I worry that for the Cowboys fans that what they got was a little bit of a taste of success. And now they're going to have to hand contracts to Amari Cooper, Jason Garrett, Dak Prescott, Demarcus Lawrence. And if Jerry makes, spends all that money and they come back with the same core and nobody takes a step forward, this could be a team that falls back in a big way. All right, so what are you most excited about hitting this week? Waffle House or something else? Man, I went to boarding school, uh, high school in Chattanooga. I, I grew up in Waffle House, man. And uh, I got to tell you, Waffle House is the place to go. But I saw a cookout down, on the, down the road. Here in Atlanta, I don't know if you're about cookout. You can go to cookout and order a burger tray, and you can get as your sides a corn dog and chicken nuggets. <laughs> That's the best. A side of corn dogs. Yeah, you get two corn dogs. I love inside. that. Can I get a corn dog and a side of a double cheeseburger? Absolutely. That's the cookout. 75 flavors of milkshakes, too. We are joined by a goalkeeper for Atlanta United, also the U.S. national team's goalkeeper. He led Atlanta to the MLS Cup last season. He played nine seasons in England, 60 caps, a member of two World Cup teams, and the season opener at D.C. United, March 3rd, 6 p.m. Eastern. Brad Gazan is my guest. Brad. It's a mouthful, man. That's a good intro. Good to have you on. How are you? Appreciate uh, appreciate you having me. Doing well. How are you? Doing great. Very Doing good. great. And I want to get into it. Atlanta is a really good soccer town. 
But let me go back a little bit first. You joined Atlanta in July of 2017 and was halfway through your first season in the league. You're from Illinois, but you had been in England for nearly a decade. So coming into this, what kind of expectations did you have, not only for the team, but for the fans in this area? I knew having conversations with Carlos Bocanegra, Darren Eels, uh, upper management, that they were going to do things right. But of course, you never know how, how far it can really go until it actually happens. Um, and to then get involved in and be uh, here in Atlanta and see the, the fan base, see the reaction to the team, um, it was huge. And so to, to have that here in the United States, you couldn't ask for anything more. Now, you play your home matches in the Mercedes-Benz Stadium where the Super Bowl is going to be on Sunday. Initially, the thought was, in some corners, man, that's too big a swing. That is just too ambitious for a team so new to be playing in such a large venue. And then 70,000 people show up for a game, and then they do it again. When that stadium is rocking, what's that feel like as a player? Yeah, it's electrifying. Uh, the, the vibe inside of it, um, from, from start to finish, it, it's, it's massive for the players that are on the field. And so these guys for the Super Bowl are, are going to experience that uh, from the the first minute to the last minute. It should be an exciting day. And it's one thing to have a massive crowd for a regular season match, but when you first stepped onto the field for the cup final last month and you heard the crowd that day, what did that feel like? Have you ever heard a stadium that loud before a match even started? To have that that atmosphere uh, during the warm-ups, it, it was tremendous. And I think that was kind of the, the, the sign that it was going to be a, a great day. Uh, we, when you go out to warm up and, and you get a buzz uh, from the, the first second you step on the field, that's, that's all you can ask for as a player. So when you look back on that final and the 2 nothing win, what memories do you have? What sticks out the most from that day? I think just the, the pure excitement. Um, not many athletes in their, you know, whatever sport they're playing, uh, respective sport, uh, they get a chance to play in a final. And so to be a part of a final in your home stadium and in, in here in Atlanta uh, with the vibe that we've been able to create and then ultimately win it, it's, it's like I said, it, that's, that's what you play the game for. Ken, what about the vibe in Atlanta? I mean, for instance, every time I have a coach on the show, we talk culture. And it's always about the culture within the locker room, the culture within the program. It's not just about you guys. I mean, this this particular instance is about the entire city. You've got programs like soccer in the streets, station soccer fields at subway stations. How would you describe the way this town, this city has taken to the team and the sport? It's embraced us with open arms. When you think of Georgia, when you think of Atlanta, when you think of the southeast of the United States, you think of SEC football, you think of American football. Right. And to, to come now, um, it, it all started with a vision from Arthur Blank. And, and I don't think he expected it to, to, to blow up in, in such a positive way the way it has. And so so, um, yeah, when you put the, the proper pieces in place, you give yourself uh, the possibility for success, and, and we've been able to do that. Brad Kazan joining us. He is the goalkeeper for Atlanta United, also the U.S. national team. So then, considering what this team means to this town, what did it mean to you guys to deliver this town that cup? It was huge. It was huge. Everyone was talking about uh, breaking the curse and, and the fact that we, we, the city of Atlanta hadn't won a, a title since I think it was the Braves back in 90, 95 or 94. So they were, they were talking about that. And so to have grown men and women coming up to you crying, thanking you to, uh, to deliver a championship, um, yeah, What's it get, that like as a pro get, athlete? People are crying. Yeah, no, exactly. It, uh, it, it takes you by surprise for sure. Uh, but at the end of the day, that's, like I said, as a player, as a professional athlete, it's a business and, and you want to win. You play to win. And so to, to, to follow through and, and deliver a trophy uh, on a big stage, 
It's fantastic. Right, so you played domestically, then you went to England, as I mentioned. What was the experience in England like for you both as a player and as a person? Well, I think you talk about culture and in the sport of soccer, you know, football as they call it over there. Um, it, it's, it's the end-all, be-all. It, it, it's what everyone looks forward to on the weekends. Um, people work hard to, to be able to, to buy tickets to go to the games and support their teams. Um, it means everything to them. And so to, to go into that environment as an American and have the opportunity to play in the best league in the world against the best players, um, it was a dream come true. How were you treated as an American in that situation? At first, you have to you have to earn the respect, uh, not only as a person, but also uh, probably more importantly uh, as a player. And you, and you have to prove that you can play and, and you can hold your own and ultimately help the team be successful. And, and those are the, the types of challenges that when Americans go abroad, that they're faced with on a daily basis of, of constantly trying to prove to their teammates, the coaching staff, and the fans that they can that they can cut it. All right, so then you come back to the MLS. How different is the league right now than when you were first in the league? Night and day, night and day, to, to see the league and, and how it's grown so much, both in the stadium in terms of atmosphere, uh, attendance, but also the quality in terms of on-the-pitch uh, the on product with the, the players that they're attracting. Um, clearly, more South Americans are now looking at Major League Soccer as an idea to not only just use it as a, a, um, a stepping stone to Europe, but also staying here and, and, and plying their trade and, and really making a name for themselves. And you always see us in every sport, too. When you win it all, you're never sure who you can keep, who's going to stay, a coach, a manager, a player. There was this thought that Joseph Martinez might be moving on. He was a league MVP last year. There was a lot of interest from international teams, but he signed an extension, first off, purely as a teammate. What was your reaction when you heard the news of the new deal? I was I, I was so happy for him. He, he's such a good guy. He gives this persona that he's a, an angry, mean mean guy all the time. Uh, off the field, he's a fantastic guy. And so um, for him and his family to, to set up shop here in Atlanta and call, call Atlanta home, I was, uh, I was over the moon for him. And, and obviously on a professional level, uh, you want someone like that scoring goals on your team. Well, not only that, but what's to say about the team? What's to say about the town? What's to say about the opportunity that he had other opportunities? I mean, he could have very easily have gone someplace else but chose instead to stay here. What's that tell you about this situation? I think it, it, it speaks volumes for what the, again, going back to what you mentioned, the culture of what we've created here in Atlanta in terms of the, the type of soccer that we try to play uh, on a day-in and day-out basis, but ultimately how much he's respected and loved here in this city uh, from our fantastic fan base. And when you have that as a player, uh, you don't need to go looking elsewhere. Ross Tucker, NFL. My man, Ross, what's going on? How are you? I am doing fantastic, Jim. Thanks for having me. This is I, I love this week every year because it's like a, almost like a reunion. Yeah, because you only see these How people so, here, right? Well, like all the all the different radio stations around here. Even like you, I, I really only get a chance to see you guys once a year, so it's nice to say hello. Uh, you know, I, I talk to you a couple times a year on the radio, so it's nice to actually see you guys in person. That, that literally is the best thing about this. Not only do you have access, but you can connect in person where ordinarily you can't. So you're exactly right. That's what makes this great. Now, I want to talk about the matchup, Ross, in one second. But you are a legend on Twitter for your tuck spreads. <laughs> videos of grub that is available in press boxes where you are working. You're a couple of days now into our time in Atlanta. What do you make of the food so far here? And did you get down on the sausage and egg sandos with grits? <laughs> yeah, so, so, so far, so good. So there's a couple of things that I like, Jim. I like variety and I like free. And so far, everything is been me, free. Ross, right? Yes, free, free is for me. No, this morning they had these sausage egg and cheese biscuit sandwiches and cheese grits so good my, i'm from the northeast but my grandma grew up in woodruff south carolina and the grits were delicious so i think that's one thing that the south does really really well is like 
breakfast sandwiches and grits. All right, then. What about the Super Bowl spread? What are you expecting on the biggest day <laughs> on the biggest stage? You know, I think it's going to be an awesome game. You know, everybody hates when the Patriots in the Super Bowl game. I don't care about the game. I mean the spread, man. Oh, the food. What oh. kind of food are we talking about, Ross? <laughs> uh, you know what? That's a good question. We'll see. I, I would I would expect him to step. I like the Jim asked me the questions I really want to answer. I like it. I thought you were going back into the football. I mean, well, we'll get there eventually, I guess, <laughs> if we have to. But no, you know what? Uh, let's see. I, I, I'm also big. I'll say this, Jim. Like when you go to Lambeau, they always have brats. Right. You know what I mean? Like a couple weeks ago, I was on the sideline. So is that a good thing or a bad thing for you? It's a good thing. No, they have other stuff, but they always have brats, brats also. Right? So a couple weeks ago, I was in Kansas City. They had pulled chicken, like buffalo chicken. They had beans, burgers. But if you're in Kansas City, like you kind of want some barbecue. Right. 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 Now, I don't know if they think guys went out to dinner the night before. They're going to go to dinner that night. So you don't want to over-barbecue them. But I'm big on what you're known for. Give it to us. I'm only in Kansas City once a year. <laughs> give me give, give me what you're known for. Give me what you're best at, uh, you know? You know, I do know. I can remember the first time that I went to Green Bay. It was back in 96. For the NFC Championship game, I had an appearance. I had never done Lambo, much less a Lambo tailgate. And I want to make sure that I got all of that. So sure enough, at 7 a.m., here's Los Angeles-born Jim Rome in freezing weather, <laughs> slamming PBRs and brats at 7 a.m. Man, it was so great. It lived up to all the hype. What are the best tailgates in the NFL right now? Now that you no longer play, right. I mean, you are working, but what's a really good NFL tailgate? So I would tell you that Green Bay is pretty good. Okay. And what's crazy about Green Bay, and there's some other ones as well, Arrowhead, unbelievable. A couple weeks ago, those people were crazy. Right. I mean, it was freezing. By the end of that game, my fingertips were killing me, and they were all there hours before the game. They all put up those pop-up tents. And then they put things around it, and then they'll have the space heaters. So they were keeping the heat in. Like, they're, they're pros in what to do For in sure. cold weather like that. Yeah, but what about the three hours of the game? You can't yep. bring the tent inside with you. No, but you know what? I don't feel bad for them because they're huddled with like 60,000, 70,000 other people. Yeah, right. I'm just, the dope, I'm just the dope standing there on the sideline by myself. Right. You know, if, right. You're, if you're a player and you're inside the white lines, you, I, I feel like as a human being, our survival instinct kicks in, and you might be, oh, I'm cold, and then you're, you're lined up across from, like, Chris Jones, and you forget about how cold you are real quick. Huh. Like, you're much more worried about that 300-pound dude that's this far away from you. Meanwhile, if you're on the bench or you're on the sideline like I was, you're freezing. I had double gloves on, and my hands were still good. People always say, who are you rooting for? I was rooting for anything other than overtime. <laughs> Exactly. Anything other right. than overtime. Although I felt bad for those Chiefs fans, man. 49 years. I almost, I don't know about you, Jim, I almost cheer for fans now. Like, I almost want the team that has the more deserving fans to win if I don't, you know, have personal connections with players. I wanted the Chiefs to win. I, want, I wanted those people it's, to be here and experience it's this. It's really interesting you say that, Ross. As somebody who played in the NFL as long as you have, and it's got to be objective right now, who are you pulling for? I get this all the time. Hey, Rome, who do you want to win? I don't care. I really don't care. I mean this sincerely. Right. I do not care. I don't root for anything other than something to talk about. Right. Uh, That's it. A thousand percent. I root for a great game. Right. Or, and in that case, if I'm on sideline, it's freezing. No overtime. A short game. Yeah, yeah that's short. Or, or, you know, if it's not going to be a great game, I want it to be a blowout 
so that all the people leave early and the traffic's not as bad after the game. You don't understand, Jim. It's about me, okay? It is about it's, you, Ross. It's not Ross. about the it's game about or you. the people. It's about me, the me traffic. Me is free and it's about me. <laughs> Ross, let me tell you something about you. And this is a high, high compliment. You are so good that you're so interesting. We could talk about nothing, and it's been one of the better interviews of the day. <laughs> we haven't talked about anything yet, and it's almost over already. Let me talk to you about the offensive line. As a former offensive lineman, Let's get into this for a minute. Tom Brady's dropped back 81 times in the last two games. He's been hit twice. He has not been sacked in the postseason. How much of that goes to the Patriots offensive line coach, Dante Skarnecchia? A lot. I mean, I played for, I had nine offensive line coaches, Jim, <laughs> and, and Scar is the best one I had. Okay. And there's a bunch of reasons Why, what, for yeah, that. Exactly. What separates I mean, him? Well, he, he was in the Marines. He is very demanding. I mean, he will yell at you. It's almost like high school, the way he yells at you. But I'll say this. You know, the individual period at practice, by far, that's when it's just you and and your position coach, by far the hardest of any team I was ever on. You feel like you're going to throw up. That's why you're always in good shape, mentally tough, physically tough. And I'll give you another one, okay? Most teams, when there's a special teams period, a lot of times the O-linemen get to chill during special teams. And, you know, you like that. You're like, oh, cool. We get a chill. Not New England. You know what they do every special teams period? Mm. They practice screens. Uh-huh. So that's why they're so good at screens always. You go on a side field with Brady, some running backs. And by the way, screens are just more running for the offensive line. Right. More running, more running. But you work on your timing over and over again to the point where there's nobody better. And that's why they'll have three awesome screens, at least against the Rams, because they always do. Ross Tucker joining us. You know, in a piece for The Athletic, you described Tom Brady as, quote, the single most determined, self-motivated, and hyper-competitive person I've ever met in my life. I mean, it's extremely high praise given the types of people that you know and have been around. What is it about him that makes him that way? And then how does that show up? What does that look like? Well, a couple things, right? So I've been playing football since sixth grade, 18 years. When I got to New England, I was 25 years old. I had started 25 games or whatever already. I had never been around any quarterback at any level that took the snap as seriously as Brady. Before, every time he would call the play, Jim, and they make him do everything there, he would look in my eyes and say, all right, Ross, great snap, you and me first, great snap, you and me first. And then he'd turn to the guys and call the play. I mean... I was like 26, 27. In my head, Jim, I was like, okay, Tom, okay, like, it's going to be a I was going to say, Rob, I was going to say, are you, are you inspired by that, or is that exhausting? Is no, he just wearing you out? No, inspired by it. Yeah. Because, you know, in his mind, you can have, a, like, a snap almost sounds like a clap, right? So if, if it's an okay clap, you can kind of hear it. But, you know, when you really, your hands just come together well, that's what you want the, the sound to be like. When you snap the ball to the top hand of the quarterback, he wanted that sound every time. Like in his mind, a perfect snap gives him the best chance to have a perfect drop back for the ball in his hands to be perfect and to be able to make his read and throw it as fast as possible. Like he. Like no details too small. Right. Like I never had another quarterback. The only other time quarterbacks would say something to you is if you mess up. Like, Tuck, get your snaps up. Tuck, you, you know, you, you were a little late on that one. Brady, he wants it to be perfect. I'll tell you now, do you have, do we have time for another yes. story? Yes. Okay, so I only hung out with him socially like three or four times, right? I was only there from December of 05 to August of 06. And I'll never forget December of 05, I had just gotten there, and the guys were asking me what Buffalo was like, and I'm complimenting Drew Bledsoe. He was very generous to us, his Christmas gifts. You know, he even, 
you know, every time we go to a, a local dive bar in Buffalo and get Labatt Blue or whatever, Bledsoe would pay the tab. So I'm telling this story to a couple offensive linemen, and Brady's, like, sitting over there, and he doesn't look like he's listening, but I think maybe he is listening, right? Then fast forward to the next training camp. It's August. Belichick gives us a day off. So we all decide, okay, we're going to go to a barbecue joint and then opening night of Talladega Nights. I'll, I'll never forget it. We go to the barbecue joint. I get up. We're about to go to the movie. I get up to go pay my tab. Next thing I know, Brady's like running over at me. Ross, I got it. I got it. I'm like, Tom, it's $13. He's like, no, I'm paying. And I look at the guy behind the register, and he looks at me like, dude, he's going to kill you. Like, let him, let, let him pay your $13 tab. I was like, okay. And now, no words were ever said. I am convinced to this day, and nobody will tell me different, that he remembered what I said about Bledsoe. And there was no way he was going to let Bledsoe have that edge on him of being a more generous quarterback for his O-lineman. <laughs> yeah, that, that competitive. And, and, and maybe not. Maybe he just really wanted maybe to pay so. my tab that night. But maybe so, though, either right? Way, either way, the guy is a complete psycho. And I mean that as the biggest compliment ever. I mean, Jim, he's almost 42. He might win his sixth Super Bowl. And he says 0% he'll retire. Even just him saying that is a good indication of how much of a psycho he is. Ross, I mean, I'm looking at the look at the time frame we're talking about. You signed, as you mentioned, in December of 05. Yeah. Right? Just over 13 years ago. How insane is it that we're talking about a guy who's not only still playing, <laughs> but playing at this level 13 years later? And how does he look to you now as compared to how he looked when you played with him? As, as good as he ever has. And I would even say, I think in some ways, the last couple of years, he almost moves better than he did when he was younger. I mean, he was a guy when he was younger, we would do agility drills, Jim, and he was not good to the point where guys would almost, like, laugh about it, right? And he'd be like, no, I'm doing it over again. I'm doing it again. To put it in perspective, okay, the average career is like three and a half years. Sure. I came in in 2001, which was Tom's second year. I am very proud of my journeyman, whatever, seven-year career. Retired in 2008. It's 11 years later, and he's still playing. It's 11 years later, and the guy is still playing and doesn't sound like he ever wants to stop. It's crazy. Still playing and still playing at an MVP level. Ross, what is myfrontpagestory.com? Okay, so I just invested in this company. It's a couple of writers from back where I'm from in Pennsylvania. They will write a story, Jim, and you'll appreciate this because you love to read, about anything you want. So my sister and I got one from my mom for Mother's Day. So you talk to the reporter, 10 minutes for me, 10 minutes for my sister, They write an awesome story about my mom. They send it to you. You print it out, frame it, gave it to my mom. She bawled. She bawled. She was like. I like that. And and so I've been telling guys since I've been here, Valentine's Day. Instead of getting flowers or chocolate or something, you don't even have to write the story. You just, while you're driving to Chipotle or something, talk to the reporter for eight minutes. Do you? But do you give it to your mom or your significant other and act like you wrote it yourself? No, no, no. It says the name of the guy okay. that wrote it. What you the say? The guy's is, got a byline. No, no. What you say is you say, "Honey, I, I just want to do something really special for you this year. I got this story written about you. Can you imagine giving your wife? I got a story written about you, and then she reads quotes where you say." I just appreciate how she takes care of the boys. You know, when I'm traveling, when I'm doing things, I don't tell her that enough. I guarantee your wife cries, and I guarantee it's the best Valentine's Day gift you ever gave. I love it. So how do they get more information? Myfrontpagestory.com. It's awesome. 
MyFrontPageStory.com. He is Ross Tucker. Ross, you're awesome. So good to get caught up, man, as always. And I, and I say this not in any way to be patronizing. I am really proud of you. You are doing amazing work and really, really good things with your career. Thank you, and you know this, but you saw it before anybody else did, and that meant a lot. Bill Ryder. Bill, what's going on? How are you? I'm great now that I'm here. This is awesome. This is awesome. So how's your week going? You know what? It was, you're right. It was a it was a good Monday. It's a little little busier, a little little more energy this Monday around. It's good. You got to take that. That's a good thing. Listen, let me go off the beaten path really quickly. I I don't want to do this, and I don't want to be this guy. But a thing that became a topic on the show is where my senior in high school son is going to attend college. Wow! All right, it became a thing. It shouldn't have been a thing, but it became a thing. And it became a thing when I mentioned that he had an interest in Wisconsin. And then the Badger Mafia started to call. And then I mentioned he went to Missouri, he visited, he got in. Oh, you got to Oh, Mizzou. Syracuse is a possibility. Don't tell him. Arizona's coming guys. hard. Arizona State, he's already in. So now we're on a short list. John Anderson called him yesterday. I've never met John. I've never spoken to John. He somehow knew. That part of the Mizzou family knew. <laughs> and he talked to the kid for 45 minutes. I need to hear from you. If the kid is leaning towards Wisconsin, would Mizzou be a better place? I mean, Syracuse is the fourth best broadcast school in the country, so he doesn't want that. Mizzou's number one. I'll say this about Wisconsin. If he wants to go and party and have fun. I'm from Dubuque, Iowa originally. It's fun at Madison. Mizzou's pretty fun, too. Great journalism school. Great Mizzou mafia. We will take care of him. It's a, it's a no contest. And it's probably negative 40 Right now, today, it in is. Madison, Wisconsin. Right? Yeah, no, you can't do that to your, right, to your so kid. So what about, what about the college experience for you? I mean, from a journalistic standpoint, obviously, yeah. the J School is unbelievable. You've done great. A lot of people have gone through there, have done great. What about the college experience? Well, I mean, I'll say that. Let's start with what's important. I married a Mizzou girl. I outkicked my coverage. If I can go to Columbia, Missouri and marry the woman that I did, your son will do just fine. I had a great time. My family relocated to Columbia because they loved it so much visiting me in Columbia, Missouri. Wow. Mom and dad live in Columbia. Big. My little sister lives in Columbia. Still. They're, they're there right now. Hunkered down. You know, the, the sports could be a little better. The football could be a little better. The basketball be a little better. Amazing university. I had a great time. Best friends of my life. Still the guys that I talk to every day. Met my freshman and sophomore year at Mizzou best choice I ever made to go to school there. All right, that's strong. I appreciate that. Bill Ryder joining me here on The Row. Let me talk to you about the news that broke. It is Super Bowl week, but the big topic of the week, of course, the report yesterday that Anthony Davis does not intend to sign an extension with the Pelicans. What was your reaction when you saw that story? My first, There's so many ins and outs. My first reaction was LeBron James is going to pull off the perfect collusion crime. And it won't technically be collusion because LeBron's agent, Rich Paul, is allowed to represent his client, Anthony Davis, but everybody in the NBA knows Rich Paul, before he was an agent, was a part of LeBron's entourage in a good way. They're friends. He's part of that entrepreneurial sp- spirit, guys like Maverick Carter who have gone out and run different parts of LeBron's empire, and they've been really good at it. They've been great at it. But when Rich Paul is pulling the strings, we all know LeBron James is pulling the strings. It is not a coincidence that the pieces are falling at a time when it tries to maximize the pressure on New Orleans to send them to one place and one place only where... LeBron James plays basketball. All right, so what about Anthony Davis? I mean, this is a big talking point in the first half of the season. This is not a guy that is looking to make waves. We know this about this particular guy. What do you make of the way he's handled this? Well, look, I think it's the way that Rich Paul and LeBron have handled it, but it's not. it wasn't the right approach. I understand what they're trying to do, Jim. They're trying to create a scenario where they look like the good guys. They're giving New Orleans time, and they're leveraging the Lakers. But it's an amateur move, and it feels like an amateur move by the people that AD has turned to. And I understand why. 
the Warriors broke the NBA, and now all these superstars have to cluster together. We've seen Jimmy Butler do it. We've seen Paul George do it with varying degrees of grace. So I get it. Anthony Davis, Kawhi did it. It's like, all right, it's my turn. I'm going to find my exit. I'm going to do it a little bit earlier. But when your agent goes out there and publicly says AD is going to be gone, the NBA has to investigate the actual move, the smart move, is Rich Paul calls up the guy who broke the story, Adrian Wojnarowski, and says, close source to AD says this. The fact they did on the record, it applies maximum pressure, but it's an amateur move. All right, so when you talk about what's going on in the NBA and the fact that Golden State did what they did, so all these other pieces are now doing what they're doing, go with that great Twitter myth. Is there any way at all this guy could end up in Golden State? Uh, it, Vegas actually has them in, in the reasonable odds. They think that it's possible. The way that I think that happens, and it's another report that came out today, that Clay Thompson, if he doesn't get a max deal, would consider going to the Lakers, which shows you, I think there's some insight there. All is not necessarily copacetic in that Golden State locker room. You talk to people around the NBA. There's varying degrees of tension and ego. Clay's a pretty chill dude, but everybody wants to get paid and everybody wants their respect. If Clay left and Durant stayed, I don't think Durant's staying, and and the Pelicans had the patience, so it's a lot of pieces. Yeah, that that is an organization like the Celtics and Danny Ainge willing to be really bold if they have the room to be bold. Bill Ryder joining us. Sorry, in terms of the Celtics, they could not finalize a deal until summertime. For those who do not know the story, why is that? So basically the particulars of the contract that Kyrie Irving has means they cannot bring in AD until July 1st. So And Danny Ainge is by far the boldest general manager in the game. He's going to look at what happened with the Raptors. He's going to look at what happened certainly with Oklahoma City and say to himself, you give me a year, a year and a half with AD, I will sell him on Boston, and maybe I'll win a championship even if I don't. But he can't pull that trigger because of the way the contract is structured until July 1. So what Ainge and the Celtics need to do is basically convince the Pelicans, you don't want to trade him in the Western Conference, you don't want to reward LeBron James and Rich Paul for doing this, and you're not going to get the right deal. Wait. Wait till July 1. We will come with the goods. I mean, is that not a good argument? Why wouldn't the Pelicans, if they want to maximize leverage, why wouldn't they wait until the summer? I think there's two ways to look at it. I mean, if, so New Orleans is obviously really angry. They put out a, a statement really quickly about how they were going to dictate terms. Not to be the grammar guy, but there were some typos in the statement, which you don't usually. They were like, you can just see, like, frantically typing the statement. you got to take a beat and you got to take a breath. And not to pick on Sam Presti more than I tend to. He's a great GM. But when he traded Harden to the Rockets, people around the NBA thought and said and told me and other folks there was a better deal. There were just some personality conflicts. It's like the Godfather. It's not personal. It's strictly business. And so the Pelicans got to take a breath and decide, and it's their own evaluation, is three of the following guys, Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, Josh Hart, certainly Kyle Kuzma, and draft picks now, bird in the hand, worth Jalen Brown or whatever Danny Ainge and those assets can come up with. And that's that depends on your evaluation of those young Lakers. Generally, when somebody says it's not personal, it's personal. In fact, <laughs> it's always personal. What about Lonzo? What do you think Lonzo Ball, now that he uh, is a part of this package, if there is a package, what do you think that he makes of his first year and a half in the NBA? I think he hates his life, is, is probably passive-aggressively angry at his father, and learns a hard lesson that life is, look, life isn't fair. And that's true for guys that sell insurance, that do radio, and, and that play at the highest level of the, of, of the NBA or whatever sport it is. Playing with LeBron has its benefits. If you can survive or coaching LeBron, it's hard to survive. It's hard to stay in that orbit. He's probably going to realize a lot more quickly than most guys do that despite his talent, the world doesn't revolve around him, and he better get it together if he wants to stick in the league. What do you make, what do you make of that fit between LeBron and Lonzo? 
Is there a fit there? I, you know, I don't know that there is, and I'm not sure it's a personality fit. I mean, LeBron has grown a pretty thick skin over the years. The things, I mean, the things I've said about him on this show, right? Like, and LeBron and I are cool. Le- LeBron gets it. I did. LeBron likes the ball in his hand. Is one of the great facilitators of all time. Lonzo needs the ball in his hand to be effective. He's not a good shooter. I just think it's a bad fit on the floor. And you know, you, you cop a little bit too much of an attitude. LeBron likes a LeBron James culture. He's not a big young guys kind of player. You put it all together, Lonzo Ball probably thrives away from LeBron James. All right, so what about that report? Going back to Boston for a minute, there was an additional report that that was not a preferred destination for Davis. Do you think there's anything to that? I do. I think there's one destination and one... The moment that Anthony Davis signed with Rich Paul, LeBron's guy, I texted some GMs, does this make him a Laker eventually? Every single guy wrote back either yes or probably, right? That... The league knows. Everybody knows. I mean, Rich Paul basically told all of us this is where he wants to go, and they want to drive the price down. But again, Jim, I think if you're Danny Ainge and you look at the fact that Kawhi Leonard didn't want to probably be in Canada, but he's there. Paul George wanted to be a Laker. He went to Oklahoma City, fell in love with it, and agreed to stay, him and Russ. You know there's a chance you can get the Paul George model and change AD's mind. A year and a half is a long time. A year is a long time. Or you get the Kawhi model, which is we're hellaciously good. We got a chance to at least come out of the East. And if he leaves, he leaves. We'll cross that bridge when we get to it. I I think Anthony Davis wants to be a Laker today, and it's probably the direction it's going to go, but I don't think Danny Ainge in Boston cares. All right, so, Bill, what about Kawhi Leonard? Before you go, where do you think his head is at right now? What if they do come out of the East? Man, it, it it is one of the big, difficult questions to answer in the NBA in the Eastern Conference because they are, and, you know, he doesn't play. They're managing his minutes. There's a lot of do-not plays. But when he plays, even when he doesn't play, his presence on that team makes them, I think, the best team in the Eastern Conference come mid-April when we're talking seven-game series in the playoffs. If they if they make it to the finals and, and he gets a taste of that away from Pop, maybe he stays in Toronto. But the fact he just bought a multi-million dollar play, it's not close to L.A. You, you know you know Southern California. Sure. That's a long drive. Without traffic, that's a long drive. But there's still a sense out there. People think he's going to go west, but he's an enigma. We've seen him. He's quiet. He's introverted. He keeps his close counsel. I honestly don't know. I think Toronto can make a run. I have no idea what makes that guy go. The laugh is no idea. Right? I know the laugh is awesome, but I I have no (laughs) idea what makes that guy tick at all. What are you doing on your that? So thanks, Alvy. So good, Mike in Indy. Mikey, what's going on? Hey, not much, Romy. Hey, we all know how you like to play it up when you have a smart, former SmackOff champ on hold. Problem is, most of the time, it's Silk Bra. We all know I'm the last one to discredit someone else's SmackOff championship, but we all know Silk has the weakest sauce, and it's always a huge letdown. My calls make Silk Bra look like Silk Panties. Then there's weak sauce Vic and NoCal last week. That idiot's long-winded call made Silk Bra look concise and hilarious. Wore all of Tom Brady's championships having an asterisk because he cheats all the time, and I'm out. Hey, Sarah, you know that smoker that I gave to you? Give it back. Give it back. It now Give belongs to Mike shot. in Indy. Give me back my smoker. Give me back my Good night now! How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola Energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola Energy. Energy you want, 
taste you love.